And so on October 26th, the call goes out for additional wagons. And there are 100 wagons that leave the next day, including the one driven by Ephraim Hanks. Ephraim had had a vision or a dream that their handcart companies were in trouble, and he immediately responds to that dream. Welcome to the Saints Podcast. I'm Ben Godfrey. And I'm Shailen Back. Today we'll be discussing Chapter 16 of Saints Volume 2, Not Doubting Nor Despairing. We're grateful again today to have back with us Chad Orton. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. Good to be here. Chad's a curator with the Historic Sites Division in the Church History Department. He's an expert on the handcart rescue, and we're looking forward to learning more about that in our discussion today. Chad, I have to start out with a question for you about a new detail that I learned in this chapter I'd never heard before. In fact, let's just play this little clip here from the book that talks about an individual who carried people across a stream. 19-year-old Sarah Ann Hay waded into the freezing water again and again, helping 16 people across. Chad, I never heard about this young woman who carried people across the water. How do we know this? The story is actually told, and it's told years out, you know, after the fact, that she helped individuals. And the, the river that she's crossing is the North Platte. It's on the day that the first snowstorm overtook the Martin Company. I do believe that she helped individuals, but the number 16 eventually came later. But it's truly amazing that this individual do that. But it should be noted that she is not the only one. Right. But she is a woman, which makes her unique, and she is doing this more than a couple of times, which also makes it unique. I just thought it was an awesome story because I totally know a bunch of 19-year-old young women that they would be the first in the water. I was just excited to learn that we have that journal entry and we have these later reminiscences that help us understand what it was like. This is truly an individual who got it understood what it was about as far as helping your neighbor and doing these things. But what I've discovered in looking at the pioneers are there, there are those on the journey whose faith grew with every footstep they took. Those are the ones that we sing about, those blessed, honored pioneer. And there are those on the journey whose faith diminished with every footstep they took. And there are those who at the end of the journey were no different than they were at the first of the journey. In that regard, they're not unlike a modern-day ward. It's what you do on the journey that matters. It's not simply just enough to be on the journey. And here we have an example of someone who got it, that it's just not enough to be there on the journey, but you have a responsibility to help out and do things while you're on the journey. So we talked about this first snowstorm that caught up with the Saints and the Martin Handcart Company. And there's this couple that we learn about, Aaron and Elizabeth Jackson. And Aaron was sick and he actually, you know, kind of fell in the Platte River and, and was wet. And so it was freezing. And let's just listen to a quote from the book that talks about their experience. That night, Elizabeth helped her husband to bed and fell asleep beside him. When she awoke a few hours later, she listened for Aaron's breathing and heard nothing. Alarmed, she placed her hand on him and found his body cold and stiff. Elizabeth cried out for help, but there was nothing anyone could do. She thought about lighting a fire so she could look at Aaron, but she had no way to kindle it. Lying down beside her husband's lifeless body, Elizabeth could not sleep. 
she waited and prayed, grieving as she watched for the first signs of daylight. I can't even imagine that would be the worst night. I can't either. I hear stories like that, and they just, the emotion that comes and swells up inside of me is, is unreal. That one, that they are in that position where they're that much suffering, and then having to endure that and to move on, knowing that in her case, it, you know, she will never have a grave to visit again. It really is, in this chapter, it's hard to read. You know, they're wrapping up those that had passed and basically putting them in a snowbank. And at night, the wolves are coming and desecrating the bodies, taking them away. It's painful. It's painful to read that. It is such a tragic story at this time. And it's also an inspiring story in the fact that those who came through, what they were able to do, and, and also the story of the rescue, I think. It's a story that needs to be told again and again. Well, let's do that then, Chad. Tell us about the rescue. How is it happening? Give us the background. We want to hear that story. Well, President Hinckley once said that the story of the rescue needs to be told again and again because it is at the heart, the essence of what the gospel is about, and that's helping and rescuing our fellow saints today and helping others. There were four companies that were basically four companies that ended up being trapped on the plains of Wyoming. There was the Willie Handcart Company and the Martin Handcart Company. And near the Martin Handcart Company were two wagon companies, the Hunt and the Hodgetts Companies. These companies had been asked to travel near the Martin Company in case there would be some problems. One of the myths about the rescue is that when Brigham Young received word in early October that there were companies still on the plains was that these individuals were trapped in the snow. The day in, in Utah, uh, it was in the 70s when they received word. In fact, it would not snow on the handcart pioneers for another two weeks. We talked about that in our previous episode with, with Andrew Olson, and he mentioned to us that Brigham had learned of this, but it was the next morning when he kicked into action and from Andrew's perspective, he said it was Brigham's prophetic vision yes. that he said, we have to go. The storms are on the way. Exactly. And one of the things that, in, in telling the story wrong, is we lose that perspective of prophetic vision. You know, there were people who would sit there and say, you know, Brigham's saying, we've got to act now. And they're saying, oh, Brigham, it's... You know, the storms don't come for another six, eight weeks. These people will be in Utah long before that. But there are those who said he was moved by a spirit that would not allow delay. And nowadays we hear messages from our prophet. You need to be doing this. Well, is he seeing storms or feeling the storms that we are not recognizing in our own lives? When he received word of these individuals and that they were on the plains, he thought that they had stopped in Florence, Nebraska, that they had not made it. He immediately went into action, and he receives word on the October 4th. On October 5th, he puts out a call. He repeats it again on October 6th. And on October 7th, the first wagons leave for these to go to the rescue of these companies. He implemented certain rules. For one thing, he asked that only horses and mules be used as opposed to oxen. You normally traveled with by ox team, but he was so anxious for these rescuers to get there, he chose the faster horse and mule companies. They normally didn't use these because they required you to take grain with you. But it was so important that he get to those individuals. As he said, 
before winter sets in. And the inspired aspect of this is that when the first snowstorm hits on October 19th, the rescuers are a day away. And it was on that day that the Willie Company runs out of flour. They still had other food to eat, but flour was the preferred food. But if they had delayed just a little bit, the tragedy could have been so much greater along there. Going back to Elizabeth, whose husband has died, I love this image of her. Just It puts me in this mind frame, I think. She's just trying to rock her children. She's a widow. Her children are fatherless, and she has nothing to protect her kids from the winter storms. They are in threadbare clothes. They have just thin blankets. And sometime during the night, she did fall asleep, and she dreamed that her husband, Aaron, who had died, was standing beside her, and he said, cheer up, Elizabeth. Deliverance is at hand. And then it was the very next day that they spotted these first rescuers. Yes. So tell us what happens after they see them coming. What's that like? You know, first going back, you know, this is a case where a grieving widow and a, it's such a tender mercy of the Lord to be able to experience that. In the case of the Martin Company on October 19th, they had been camped for several days, trapped in the snow. They had had to reduce rations somewhat. They only had limited supply to get them to Utah, but so they reduced rations, so they're living on reduced rations when these rescuers show up. And they talk about that there were great joys, great cheers through camp. You know, people would say, well, you know, we knew Brigham would send help for us, but I think in the back of their mind, they're saying, well, there's always that little but bit when? of doubt. Yeah, but when? when mm-hmm. We don't know when, and it's awfully cold, cold and people and, are dying. And, you know, where would they really come for us? Yeah. I mean, if Brigham had his way, they would be here, but will people actually brave the snowstorm? And the hope that it brought to those individuals that first they're saying, you know, this is the Martin Company on October 27th, I believe. It was later in the month. It was it was a week after the Willie Company. You know, as much as the food was the, the hope, things were on their way. And there was a reason for them to keep going, you know, not just sit there. And there's a young girl who talks about somewhat the rescuers were really kind of mean. One of them was mean because she asked for a ride in his wagon and he wouldn't give it, made her walk. And then she later came to discovery he wasn't being mean, but she needed to have that experience. She needed to be walking. She needed to be more than just riding. She needed to be physically active. And she said, that was probably the best thing that happened for me. So, you know, these individuals brought more than just food. You mentioned that it's a bit of a myth that the handcart pioneers were in the snow when Brigham found out. Are there other myths or misunderstandings that you can help us understand about this story? There are a number that have been told that are not necessarily true. You know, one of them is that we'll just start um, the story of Ephraim Hanks. It's a wonderful story, and the story is frequently presented that he is one of the first rescuers to reach the handcart companies. And isn't it that he has a big bunch of buffalo meat with him? He does have some buffalo meat. I don't know how much it would feed 500 or 600 people, but he brought hope. And this is the story of Ephraim Hanks. Uh, The first rescuers left on October 7th. It's actually a relief company at that time. Word comes back to Brigham Young on October 25th that it has snowed and that these individuals are trapped in the the snowstorm. 
And so on October 26, the call goes out for additional wagons. And there are 100 wagons that leave the next day, including the one driven by Ephraim Hanks. Ephraim had had a vision or a dream that their handcart companies were in trouble, and he immediately responds to that dream. Well, they get up the trail and they discover that the trail is snowed in. And there are a number of these wagons that turn around, but not Ephraim Hanks. He pushes ahead. He gets the South Pass. It's too hard to travel by wagon. So he turns in his wagon and asks those who have been asked to camp there if he can take uh, their horses and mules. So he takes off on a horse and mule by himself. By the time that he reaches the Martin Company, they've left Martin's Cove. But I think that there are those who are wondering, is there help going to be coming along the way? And part of the myth is that Ephraim Hanks is the first one to rescue the company. Right. He is part of the later group, but his story is so important because there are those who are probably doubting, and he shows to what length the saints will go to to rescue these individuals. So you mentioned what length these rescuers go to rescue these people, and something that I loved from the book was that they were building fires along the trail. They were clearing away the snow and cooking them meals, and then also they were even dancing and singing just to give them hope and optimism. And I just loved that picture because, I mean, the rescue effort was huge. We have the scouts coming, we have the first relief wagons, and then a number of, I mean, you said up to 100 wagons were still coming. So there was a lot that was going on. It literally involved the whole territory. We have accounts of people from as far north as Brigham City down to Cedar City who were involved in the rescue. And, you know, the October 26 was only the second call. There were additional calls for wagons. There were literally hundreds of wagons on the trail and hundreds of individuals. And these individuals not only were putting themselves in harm's way going back out to help these folks in the cold, but they were delaying what they needed to do to survive the winter. They weren't out cutting the wood that they would need to heat their homes. They weren't harvesting their crops, picking their fruit. They had focused upon what these individuals needed as far as help. And there were so many things that they needed help with, trampling down the the snow so that these individuals can get through. The singing, dancing, I love that image of these individuals after getting them to their camp, making dinner for them, then trying to entertain them at night. And they probably weren't singers or dancers. (laughs) (laughs) They probably didn't have the skills, but they were doing what they could to ensure that these individuals brought in. And I think that's why President Hinckley talked about we need to tell these stories again and again. They saw the needs and they tried to, to meet them. Are there other misconceptions that you can help clear up for us today? One of the most popularly told stories uh, regarding the rescue, uh, it was told, uh, I think it was 1914, years after, uh, does not always agree with the historical evidence. And that is the story that there were three 18-year-old boys who carried all of the members of the Martin Handcart Company across the, the Sweetwater, and that they died as a result of this soon afterwards, and that Brigham Young promised them eternal life for that one act alone. I've heard that story. I've heard it more mm-hmm. than once. Same. Yeah. And it's frequently told. We in the historic sites try to get people not to tell the story on Trek, but it's told there. It's told most July 
24th programs. This is the, uh, the story is that one, we are not exactly sure how many of the rescuers actually participated in carrying individuals across. We have five who are mentioned by name, and we also are told that there were members of the handcart companies who went back in and carried individuals across. They also didn't need to carry everyone because they had wagons with them. There are those who rode in wagons. There was no way that they could have the time of day to do this because of the journey up and back, getting one person across was about 200 yards. So it would have been very difficult. What we know is that the first of those who participated died in 1872, which was 16 years after the Sweetwater. The last one died in 1920. Wow. And while they may have experienced some difficulties in life, you know, some difficulties as a result of their, their sacrifice, and that should not diminish what they did, you know, spending any amount of time in that water was a trial. But they do not appear to have suffered at least enough to keep them from doing strenuous things, serving missions and, and doing other acts of service. And what about Brigham Young's promise of, by this act alone, you've ensured your place in the kingdom of heaven? We don't know exactly what Brigham said. We know that in getting people to go to the rescue, he talked about that they wouldn't be saved if they didn't help. You know, that's what the gospel requires of us, to help our fellow men. Um, but what we do know is that that statement is somewhat anti-doctrinal because even Brigham Young at this time is teaching that it's you will be rewarded for the good you do, and these individuals will be rewarded, but we are required to endure to the end. That's what the scriptures teach. That's what the prophets have taught. It's hard to believe that Brigham is making this promise differently. He may have. But what is interesting is the individual who wrote this account that we quote had previously written about it, and he made a different. He said Brigham made a different promise, in which he said that for this one act of loan, these boys would be immortalized. Uh. That makes sense. They'd be remembered forever. Mm -hmm. They would be remembered forever. And if there was ever a, a prophecy made that has become fulfilled, that is certainly one. They have been remembered. It's fascinating to learn about these things because, as with so many things, the real story is actually more compelling, more faith-building, and even more interesting than the misunderstandings or the myths, as you call them. You know, one of those rescuers... Uh, was David P. Kimball, and it was his brother who wrote this account. But his brother shares on a different occasion the death of David P. Kimball and tells an entirely different story in that David had this time had moved to Arizona. He had one day gotten lost, ended up in the middle of the Arizona desert without food, without water, nearing the point of death, at which time his parents... Heber C. and Blake Kimball come, say, we're here to take you home. He says, well, I'm not ready to go. Can't I live a little while longer? And they say, well, okay, you can live two more years. They gave him some food and water and say that your friends will find you, you know, your friends will find you tomorrow, which is exactly what happened. And as that time approached in two years, uh, and we know this from letters that people wrote, David goes up to Salt Lake. He goes to everyone, says goodbye, and says, I'm going to be dying 
tomorrow, and he mm-hmm. dies two years exactly from the time that his this experience in the desert. Wow. Much better story than, than yeah. the other story that's traditionally told. Yeah, we, sh- we need to tell that story about <laughs> David P. Kimball, not the, the misremembered one by his brother that's probably been misquoted now for decades yeah. and decades. Yeah. And, and one of the great things that I, we shouldn't forget what happened that day at the Sweetwater, but these should be representative of all the hundreds of individuals who went to the rescue, who risked their life, who did those things that were needed, whether it was fixing the meals, putting up their tents, entertaining them, all of these things. These boys are a symbol of what really happened. And by the way, um, none of them were 18. There were three that were younger. There were two 16-year-olds and 17-year-old, which is, which is amazing. The oldest was in the late 20s. I love that you say they're a symbol for all the other rescuers. And as this rescue is happening on the rest of the trail, it's still not over when they get to the valley. And let's actually listen to a quote from the book about this experience. On November 30th, as he presided over a Sabbath meeting in Salt Lake City, Brigham learned that relief wagons carrying the members of the Martin Company would arrive later that day. He quickly canceled the rest of the day's meetings. When those persons arrive, he said, I want to have them distributed in the city among the families that have good and comfortable houses. There's another quote that he gives in there that I love. He says something in the effect that he's doing this so that they can go home and prepare them some food to eat. And he says, if I were these individuals, I would give more for a baked potato at this moment than I would for all your prayers, even (laughs) though you sat here and prayed for me all day. You know, one of the things he had learned at the first time with the Willie Company, who had arrived three weeks earlier, is how important it was to take care of them once they arrived. And so he said these good homes right. and that he needed to make certain that they were taken care of, that they could be treated. Many of these individuals had frostbites. There were a lot of problems that needed to be dealt with. Um, and so that part of the, the rescue would continue for months as these individuals were slowly nursed back to help. Brigham took many individuals into his home. Other church leaders did as well, as well as the saints throughout that area. They were sent to various communities. If there was more than could be handled in Salt Lake, they were really taken care of until they could get themselves back on their feet, back back into health. Well, and I never thought of that part of the rescue before. And it's important to me because I don't imagine that I would have been like Ephraim Hanks tramping down the snow and riding a mule to go get the people. But I feel like I could prepare my home and welcome these saints and help them regain their strength and feed them. And it's just amazing that everybody in the kingdom of God is needed for their individual talents and capacities. And that just that part of the story was very touching to me. It feels like to me it's applicable too today because oftentimes when we need to help someone, it's not just a one-time, you know, we'll run over, we'll do this quick thing, and then they're good. They're going to need help for a while. And maybe we're not helping with frostbite. Maybe it's something else. But as members today, we're often called on to help individuals or families. And it is over an extended period of time. And they do need our support ongoing until they're healed and they can be back and going again. So there's just so many awesome lessons in this story of the handcarts and the, and the rescuers. Chad, we so much appreciate you coming, helping us dispel some of the misunderstandings and myths, 
helping us to remember this incredibly important story in our history. We just invite you, our listeners, to visit saints.churchofjesuschrist.org where you can learn more. We have topics and videos. You can also reach out to us. Tell us what you think, comments or questions. You can email us at saintspodcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. I'm Ben Godfrey. And I'm Shailen Back. Thank you so much for listening.